This is a Woodside Church podcast. Well, good morning to you this morning. I I trust you are well. Uh, I am preaching today not in our building, in our, our Woodside Church building. I'm preaching today at home where we are following the government's instructions of stay at home. So we trust that's where you are today. Uh, Pray that you are well. If you're part of the Woodside family, then you are very, very welcome again to our Sunday morning. But maybe you're from another church family or you're not connected to a church. I just want to say welcome. It's great to have you with us. Uh, We are uh, seeking to serve you well in the midst of very challenging times, but we're trusting God together. We know he loves us. And we know that he is for us. Wanted to also greet you if you're from another nation of the world. Uh, we are in the UK here, but if you're from another nation, it's great to have you with us. I think we had people from Thailand uh, watching in last week. We had, I believe, friends from West Africa, and maybe other places too. So wherever you find yourself, We pray that you are well and uh, we are praying for you in the midst of the situation, the day that we find ourselves. But we don't want to be dominated by that. We want to uh, speak truth into our hearts and we want to take this moment actually to pick up on a sermon series that we started a few weeks ago. This is a fascinating series that looks at the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection but looks at it not through our eyes, but through the eyes of someone else, to get the perspective, to almost get insight into what it must have been like for a number of individuals that witness this remarkable weekend that actually we'll be celebrating in a few weekends time, the Easter weekend. To get an insight, to look through the eyes of someone else to allow the story to come alive to us. That's what we're gonna be doing today and the weeks leading up to Easter and through Easter weekend. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone who has had a dramatic experience in their life and you begin to understand what they experienced and get an insight, maybe a view of what it was like for them. Do you know, only a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my dad who lives in in Bedford, he's part of the Woodside family as well. And I was talking to my dad about his experience in the Second World War. Dad and mum grew up in London, and so they lived through the Blitz. They lived through some of the hardest times uh, that our nation has ever known, has ever known. And when you talk to my dad, he'd tell uh, a fascinating story, some comical stories uh, of when Uh, they used to have a cat that had incredible hearing. And so when the air raid siren would sound, in fact, before the air raid siren even sounded, their cat would run down the garden path to the air raid shelter before anyone else had moved. And suddenly, so they would see the cat running down the path and everyone would jump up and follow the cat down to the air raid shelter. As they arrived, the siren would begin to, to, to sound off. Uh, very, you know, strategically very, very helpful in the moment. 
there's other stories that my dad tells that are really quite chilling. He said, uh, described one time when he was walking back to his home and he noticed something called a doodle bug. A doodle bug was, I think, the very first drone uh, airplane. Uh, and it was used in uh, very effectively in the Second World War. And these doodle bugs would fly over and they were fueled up to a place where they would run out of fuel as they came over London. And you'd hear the propeller going and suddenly the propeller would slow down, eventually stop and begin to descend onto a part of London. A terrible, terrible thing. You used to land indiscriminately in, in, in whatever place, wherever its fuel ran out. My dad describes a story of walking home and seeing one of these coming over London. And as he looked, he could see that it was beginning to fall and it was beginning to come down and it landed this massive explosion and it was right in line with where his house was. So he remembers running home to try and see what happened. And then luckily and thankfully for him and his family, that actually the doodlebug had landed in the street beyond, the one street down, straight in line with their house. And so their house was, was protected and was, was safe. But actually around the corner, another house had been completely obliterated. In fact, even when we go down to that part of London, which we've done many times, you can see this house, which is about 30, 40 years newer than the other houses in the street, because obviously the original house was destroyed. And when I hear my dad tell me that story, my mum as well, of story times when she hid under the kitchen table as the bombs fell, you begin to think and feel and begin to experience what it must have been like. Now, we can never completely experience it. But of course, we do get an insight into what it was like. In fact, I've heard my dad tell that story many times. <laughs> and in fact, I think I could tell it quite well and I'm doing the best that I can today. But actually, I, I almost feel like I can see and even hear that doodlebug come across and the engine stop and begin to descend. And just as a little caveat, if you're particularly unsettled and worried, and many of us are anxious and battling with that, as we talked about last week. And so I recognise what we're going through is real. This isn't, this, isn't, uh, this isn't a rehearsal. This is real stuff we're having to face together. One of the things that encourages me was when I speak to those who have been through so much worse. And I'm encouraged to know that God was with, that, with them and God will be with us. And we will come through this together. We will come through this together. But in the same way that I can get an insight into what it was like for my dad and my mum in the Second World War, we can do the same when we look at the story of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. We get to look through someone else's eyes and it allows the whole story to come to life for us. So that's what we're going to do. And today, I want to look through one man's eyes. We don't know his name, but we do know he was a criminal. He was a thief. And he is right at centre stage of all that happened on the Easter weekend. I'd like to just tell a little bit of the story 
about this thief and how he played a part and how he encountered Jesus and trying to catch hold of what he experienced through his eyes. It comes from the Gospel of Luke in verse in chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. This is what was happening. There was actually three people going to be crucified alongside one another. There was Jesus, of course, and in fact, there were two criminals, two thieves. And what the authorities wanted to do, they wanted to crucify Jesus amongst criminals. He would be in the middle and to the left and his right, there'd be two thieves. That was a deliberate decision by the authorities. They wanted to say a statement as if to say that Jesus was no better than a common criminal. So this wasn't by chance. This was a, a, a definite decision by the authorities to try and to demean and give further disrespect to Jesus. A large crowd gathered. A large crowd. In fact, a very large crowd would have gathered. It would have been normal that a crucifixion, I mean, horrifically, was a, was a real spectacle in those days. People would come from, from, from far to watch these types of spectacles. But of course, this was no normal crucifixion. This was the crucifixion of Jesus, and Jesus had made such an impact on, on the city and on the area that, that the crowd would have been large, all focusing in on what was happening. Observing this, this horrible means of execution were the rulers, the, the Jewish rulers and the authorities of the day. They were sneering and they were mocking Jesus. They were saying things sarcastically like, he saved others, let him save himself. They were hurling abuse at him in a disgusting way. There would also be in a, a large group of people just, just watching in, just watching in, not really sure what they thought of what was happening, not sure if they, if they thought he was good or bad or whether this was right or wrong, but they, there was a large group of people, we're told, that were watching the crucifixion of Jesus. They were almost like agnostic, if you like. They wasn't sure if they believed in him or didn't believe in him. They were somewhere in the middle ground. And so often we know uh, around us today are people that are thinking, I'm sort of in the middle. I'm a bit on the fence here. I'm agnostic. I'm not sure what I believe in. I'm not hurling abuse, but I'm also not hurling praise. That would have been a fairly large group. But also there were soldiers around, the Roman soldiers. They were also mocking him. They were giving him wine, vinegar to drink. Some divided his clothes, which would be normal practice. That's what they did. They would rip the clothes and divide the clothes and, and share them out. But they were equally sarcastic and hurling abuse. In fact, they, they nailed a, a placard on the top of the cross that said, King of the Jews. And this wasn't some celebration towards Jesus. That was trying to be a joke, a cheap, nasty joke to Jesus while he hung on the cross. What did Jesus do? There he is. He's, he's nailed to the cross and he's, there's a thief to his left and a thief to his right. Jesus looks down on the, the rulers, the soldiers, the crowd of people 
and he says these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. How often in history, and even today, does a crowd of people follow along on a line of thinking and God looks down and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. It happened then, it happens today. How often throughout history have people just followed the crowd, followed the perceived or the so-called progressive wisdom of the day and been in error? And Jesus looks down and says, Father, forgive them. They do not realise, they do not know how wrong they are. It means we today and in any point in history, we must be those that question the wisdom of the crowd, the perceived wisdom of the day. For throughout history, the crowd has often been wrong. And actually, we have to look beyond and discover who Jesus really is. Of course, you had two thieves. You had one thief on one side. And one thief was shouting abuse at Jesus. He said to them, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the chosen one? Save yourself and while you're at it, save us, why don't you? I mean, he was hurling abuse, sarcastically, aggressively, but Jesus stayed silent. In fact, remarkably, the response didn't come from Jesus. The response came from the other thief. The other thief rebuked the first thief. He said to you, don't you fear God? Don't you know who he is? He added, he said, we are punished justly. We are getting what we deserve. But this man, indicating Jesus, said, this man, he's done nothing. He's done nothing wrong. And that second thief then turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. You see, we must take note of what dramatically is happening here. You've got all these different people observing uh, this uh, awful moment, but actually represented in the two thieves are the whole of humanity. You see, humanity actually has to decide which thief do they align with. They can pretend and they can pro profess that they're sort of in the crowd. They're not quite sure they're agnostic, but actually we discover that you are either believing in Jesus and all that he said, or you're not. There, there isn't a middle ground. And then the words of Jesus are remarkable, that he says to this second thief, the one that, that cried out to Jesus, remember me when your kingdom comes. And Jesus said this to that man, he said this, truly I tell you today, Today, you will be with me in paradise. He's saying, look, you have humbled yourself before me. 
You've put your trust in me in this moment of your last minutes of your life. And in response, Jesus promises him eternal life from today, from today. All humanity is like one or the other of these criminals. Which one are you? My good friend and one of the pastors at Woodside Church uh, summed it up like this, and I, I, I think this is well written, so I just want to read. This is Tim Green. Tim puts it in these words. He says this, The thief's sins were being paid for, and he was being forgiven by Jesus because of the cross. That Jesus was simultaneously enduring. What amazing grace. We can all receive this amazing grace and this amazing mercy from God when we respond like that second thief respond. When we capture, when we understand, when we see who Jesus is with the eyes of that second thief, then we realise that he is the saviour. He is full of love and compassion. He is full of forgiveness. He does want to bring new life and purpose and eternal life to us. So what does this encounter tell us about the Christian faith? How do we take what we've just heard, what, what the thief saw in Jesus, how do we apply that to our lives today? I've got three things, three things that I think will help us today. The first is this. The first is this. What does the encounter tell us about the Christian faith? It tells us this. It has nothing to do with living a good life. The Christian faith has nothing to do with living a good life. Here you have a thief, a criminal, who's probably been sinning for, say, 40 years of his life, He's about to die. He turns to Jesus in his last moments and he finds forgiveness and he finds new life and he finds eternity with him. This instantly tells us that Christianity is nothing to do with living a good life. What we do know from other parts of the Bible is that when we come to know God and he comes to live inside us, actually our lives do change. And the more we are impacted by Jesus, the more his new life begins to flow through us. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Christians are bad people. Of course they should not be that. That would indicate that they're probably not Christians after all. But actually, living a good life is, brings nothing to being a Christian. Because Christianity and the Christian faith has nothing to do with living a good life. That's what we see in this moment of this thief who, who had no, no time left to live a good life. Secondly, and alongside that, what do we learn? We learn this, that Christianity has everything to do with humbly crying out to God with a repentant heart for mercy. See, Christianity isn't about living a good life, but it is about this. It has everything to do with humbly crying out to God with a repentant heart 
for mercy. You see, the thief's sins were forgiven in that moment. Everything that he'd ever done was forgiven, which is why Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. You, your eternal life begins with me today. Now, sin is a, is a very old-fashioned word, and it really isn't about sins or mistakes we've made. Do you know, we, we've all made mistakes. Let's, let's, let's level with one another. I've made mistakes, you've made mistakes. There's things that I've done that I shouldn't have done. There's also things that I haven't done that I should have done. There's, 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 there's so many things that we could all list, and I'm, that's not... That's not the point of the moment. It's not the point of the gospel. You see, sin isn't really about individual sins. Sin is really about who is in charge of your life. Who is in charge of your life? Someone described it to me like this. They said sin is spelt S-I-N and it has I in the middle or me in the middle you see sin is really about who is the lord of our lives who is is making the decisions ultimately in our lives who are we trusting are we trusting in ourselves or are we trusting in someone else Do you know sadly i am i'm told that in funerals in the united kingdom the most popular song to be played as part of the ceremony is the Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. You see, in here is a struggle to do things my way, to make me the centre of everything, to trust in me, to trust even sometimes in my life and my good works. You know, many people I've spoken to have said, well, I'm just going to do the best I can. And if I meet my maker, when I meet my maker, I hope that my life marries up enough to be okay. I'm thinking, wow, don't do that. Because we can never, never reach that level. In fact, the whole point of the gospel is for us to say humbly, Lord, I want to put my trust in. In you. It's no longer me. It's no longer my way. I want it to be your way. The Christian life is about humility. It's about saying, I need a saviour. It's about being like the, uh, the thief that humbly turned to Jesus. So thirdly, on how we apply this and what does this tell us about the Christian life? Well, it goes back to something I've said before, and that would be this. All of humanity is either one thief or the other. All of humanity is either aligning themselves with one thief or the other. See, the thief we want to learn from today, the one that we want to see the cross through the eyes of, the one that we want to see Jesus through, is the one that humbly turned to Jesus in his darkest moment. And he looked at Jesus and he saw love. He saw compassion. He saw forgiveness. 
he saw a saviour. And in that moment, he found life eternal with Jesus. I want to just land this very simply today with reference in another verse from another part of the Bible, which summarises this very well. And then I'd love to lead us in prayer. I'd love to give us all an opportunity to say, okay, God, which side of the fence am I? Because we can't stay with the people, with the crap. In the end, that, that isn't a position. Because you're either saying, yes, Jesus, I trust in you, or you're saying, I trust in me. There's a, a verse in the Bible in a letter to the church in, in Rome, and it goes like this. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'd love to lead us in prayer. I'd encourage you in your homes, wherever you are, and maybe in Bedford or in the UK or maybe another nation of the world. I just want to uh, urge you to respond to Jesus today. Maybe for you, you've never done this. You've never taken a moment to say, okay, Lord, I want to nail my colours to the mast. I want to say, I put my trust in you. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe some of you have done that in the past, but you just know that over time, your life has veered away from his plans and his purposes, and your relationship with him is not what it once was. And also maybe for some of us, we... We've been running with God, but you know, it's no bad thing to come back and say, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to know that I'm trusting you, not in me. And with all the uncertainty around, I'm, I'm so encouraged that I can come to God and say, God, I'm throwing my trust in you and you alone. So let's pray together and please pray with me as we say these words. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, I turn from everything which I know is wrong and which I've done wrong. And Lord Jesus, I want to say today that I want you to be the Lord of my life. No longer do I want to make me the centre. I want to make you the centre of my life. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross, for setting me free from the power of sin. Lord, I thank you that you promised new life for those who place their trust in you. And I thank you that you're giving me new life today. And not only that, Lord, that your promise is for eternal life with you forever. I believe that God raised you, Jesus, from the dead and that I believe you are now the risen Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray, would you come into my life and would you fill me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and be with me forever? Lord, I thank you that from this day I can be clear in my mind that you are with me and that I am yours. And as we all face 
this current turmoil and uncertainty. Lord, we thank you that we do not face this alone because your word is consistent, that you are with your followers forever and you will never leave us and never forsake us. We ask these things with grateful hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to say, if you said that prayer, if you'd like to, to connect with, with us, uh, then there's an email address that will come on the screen now. Uh, that is, is an email address. You'd please, you know, please send a message to us. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time or, or there's a sense of you coming back to God today, we'd love to know that. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to serve you to the best of our ability. So please email us. Please tell us about it. Well, that's it for me today. Uh, I really pray that you have a great day with, uh, with those in your household. Please don't forget to phone friends and family. Look out for those who are on the fringe of different of the Woodside Church and other groups. Please look out for your neighbours too. Please keep an eye out for one and all. Let's, let's stay strong, but let's also be looking to others and be helping them to the best that we can. I'm praying that you and we all have a great week and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much. See you then. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.